We're going to take a break this morning from Nehemiah. Years ago, 12, God sparked in my heart and through me and some others put together a group here in Katy called Christ Together Katy, a group of pastors and churches that we are a part of that together um, work for this grand vision of every man, woman, and child in our city with a repeated opportunity to see, hear, and respond to the gospel. I provided point leadership to that for many, many years, and then over the last several, um, it's been led by others. But back earlier part of this year, I think it was early in April, I was up in Jonesboro, Arkansas, where Tara and I and Macy lived for uh, a little bit. She was young then. Uh, We were there for six years, planted Fellowship Bible Church of Jonesboro, Arkansas, led it for six years before coming here. But I was up there visiting with my buddy Chuck that planted the church with. And in the midst of our visit, he began to tell me about an initiative that they had done the year before called Saturate Jonesboro, where they had gathered churches together with the hopes of praying for every household in Jonesboro, Arkansas. And he said, Mitch, you all ought to do it. It fits just in line with every man, woman, and child that you've told me so much about. So where did y'all learn about it? Awaken Nashville is where we heard about it. A group of churches in Nashville that came together to pray and fast for every household in Nashville, Tennessee. So I began to look into it a little bit. And soon after that, I was in Austin with some pastors here in Katy. We had gone to a Christ Together national meeting in Austin. And we were sitting at our table thinking about, dreaming about, talking about what might be next for Katie. And I said, hey guys, I was just in Jonesboro, Arkansas, and my buddy told me about Saturate Jonesboro and Awaken Nashville. It's a movement to bring churches together to pray and fast for every household in the city. Maybe we should do that. And they said, boy, that sounds interesting. We'd love to hear more about it. And so I put together some things in an email and just sent it to them. And I was going to go on sabbatical, but I got cancer and went through chemo and radiation and all of that. And so we didn't do anything about this vision for months. After I finished chemo and radiation, there was five or six weeks that I was back to work a little bit. I was preaching again and was going to a few meetings here and there. And I went to a Christ Together Katie meeting and it got brought up again. They said, you know what, Mitch, you talked about this months ago. Uh, What do you guys think? Should we pursue it? And through that conversation, the answer seemed to be yes. And I said to Ryan Rush, the pastor at Kingsland Baptist, I said, Ryan, I don't know how much strength I'm going to have, but I'm willing to lead this, I think. And he said, great. You're leading it. And so, by God's grace, I have been. We gathered pastors together here at Redeemer in November and to uh, a church. They all said yes. And so now we're at 18 churches across our city that are about to begin to pray and fast for 
every household in Katy. Now, we, we need 5,500 believers across our city to participate. We're not there yet and probably aren't going to get there. But we think we're sitting at about 4,500, which is praise God. Multiply that by 17 households each, and I should have done the math, but I didn't. But that's close to every household in Katy being prayed for by name throughout the month of March. What might God do in the lives of his people here at Redeemer and across our city as we seek him through prayer and fasting in the month of March? And what God, might God do in the lives of 80,000 households all over our city as his people earnestly pray and fast for them by name. As we get ready for this, I think we know about prayer, but what about fasting? Those of you who will participate, you, maybe you've already gotten your packet, you've got your list of 17 households to pray for, and for, on, the, on the whole, you probably know exactly what to do with that. Mary Lerman grabbed me this morning and she said, you know what, we already know how to do this. We pray for the Kavarshin all the time. We've never met the Kavarshin, but we know what to pray. We pray that God would open the eyes of their heart, that they would come to faith in Jesus Christ. We pray that God would convict them of their sin. We pray that, that somebody would come alongside them and share the good news of the gospel. We know how to pray. If you don't, though, there will be a prayer guide in your packet to, to guide you for those 30 days on things that you can pray for these households. And I would just like to say, you don't have to spend a whole lot of time each and every day praying for these households. Devote as much time as you can and as you will. But what does it look like to pray for these 17 households each and every day? Do I have to spend a minute on every household? Do I have to spend two minutes? Do I, do, how do I do that? You just pray for them. I would say at least please, and there's nothing magical to this, but my plan is each and every day to at least lift up each and every household to the Lord. Lord, uh, here I am again today praying for my 17 households. And so, Lord, I just I want to lift up the Pfeiffer household and the Peru household. And I want to, I want to lift up the Mayor household and, and just all of those households. And, Lord, you know each and every one of those families. You know who it is, how big, how, how many kids are there. You, you know everything about that household so much more than I but I'm, I'm going to want to lift them up to you again. And, and then I'm going to be reading the little prayer guide and I'm going to follow that and pray. But what about fasting? We don't know as much about fasting. Most of us don't, I don't think. It's less familiar to us. We don't practice it nearly as much as we might practice prayer. If you read the little yellow book yet, yeah, Dave Clayton says in there, you would be hard pressed to find any significant movement of God across human history that was not first preceded by a group of faithful men and women who were committed to the Lord in prayer and fasting. I think you could read sentences like that 
from others as well. That whenever God brings about a significant movement, a revival of his people, that it is always, almost always, if not always, preceded by not only prayer, but fasting. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to look briefly at a passage of scriptures and say at least a little bit about fasting. You all remember Rudyard Kipling? He said, I keep six honest serving men. They taught me all I knew. Their names are what and why and when and how and where and who. Those were his six serving men. He kept them with him all the time and it taught him everything that he knew. The idea of asking good questions can often lead to some solid answers. I'm not sure if we're gonna unearth much from each and every question this morning, but those will be our guides. But in Matthew 9, verse 14, when the disciples of John, John the Baptist, came to him, Jesus, they came to him asking, why do we and the disciples fast, but your disciples do not fast? So apparently the the disciples of John the Baptist were fasting. Of course, the, the Pharisees and their disciples fasted. But the disciples of Jesus were not fasting. Why not? Jesus said to them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. The attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them. Can they? Of course not. In the Old Testament, God spoke of being the one who would wed himself to his people, that he would be their bridegroom. And so Jesus is making an important statement here. He is God who has come to wed himself to his people, that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that Old Testament promise. He is the Messiah. He is the bridegroom of his people. The anticipated one is now manifest, and with him, the kingdom of God is at hand. And as such, it's not time to fast. Here were the disciples, and here was Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of Old Testament promise there with them in flesh and blood. The long-awaited Messiah was here. It was not a time to mourn, not a time to long, not a time to yearn. It was a time to feast. While the bridegroom is with them, they're not going to mourn and fast, are they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. 
This is another one of Jesus' hints of what was to come. That he who had come in fulfillment of Old Testament promise, he who was the Messiah, all that was anticipated manifest in him, he was going to go to a cross and die and then rise and then ascend. He was to be taken away from them. And then they will fast. While away, he will give his spirit, and through his spirit, he will be with us. And there is much joy in that. Peter would say, though we do not see him, now we greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. We all know that. We don't see Jesus in flesh and blood with us now. He has gone away. But in going away, he sent his spirit who, and, and he indwells in us. And, and in relationship to God through his son Jesus, empowered by his spirit, we experience the joy inexpressible and full of glory. At the same time, that's not the same as his, what we might call, unmediated presence. His presence is mediated to us through his spirit. And there's great joy in it, but it's not the same as his unmediated presence. Even Paul would say to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And he would say... I have the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. And so, while we experience the mediated presence of Jesus, while he is gone, there is an ache, maybe a longing, maybe a yearning, that Jesus is not here and we're not experiencing him as fully and as intimately, gloriously, and powerfully as we one day will when he comes again. And so in this period when he is taken away, Jesus says his disciples will fast. Some of you, I think, were with Matt Williamson this morning as you all are looking at Matthew chapter 6. And what did Jesus say about fasting? When you fast. We do not have a command from Jesus in the Gospels, nor a command from Paul, Peter, James, John, or anywhere in the New Testament that commands you and me to practice fasting. But Jesus said, when you pray, when you give, when you fast, Jesus said, days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. He clearly anticipated that his people would fast. 
So who is it that is to do this? It's folks like you and me. Fasting is not only for the super spiritual among us. There's no such thing. It's for all of God's children. Well, what is it? What is fasting? Jensen Franklin says, stated simply, biblical fasting is refraining from food for a spiritual purpose. It's refraining from food for a spiritual purpose. Dave Clayton in the little yellow book that we'll all get. In other words, fasting involves our letting go of something in the physical realm to take hold of new things in the spiritual realm. So again, it's refraining from food, or as Clayton says, something in the physical realm for a spiritual purpose, taking hold of new things in the spiritual realm. In other words, I think it is, if you will, foregoing a meal to focus on God. A meal or two or three or more. It's foregoing food to focus on God. If you or I were to fast from breakfast only to spend those 20 minutes on social media, or if you were to fast from lunch only to run over to the gym real quick since you've got some time, or if you were to fast from dinner only to go clean out that closet or those cabinets you've been wanting to get to for some time and now you've got some time, I'm not so sure that that is what biblical fasting is. It's turning from food to him. One said it's refusing to feast on food in order to feast on God. It is, I think, a hope that we would turn upward toward God in an intensified way. John Piper says that, that fasting is the physical exclamation point at the end of a sentence like, oh God, I want you, I need you, we need you. Only you are the satisfaction of our souls and we desperately need you. And the, and the physical fasting, is a phys, it's an exclamation point that intensifies that longing for God. We see it all throughout the Old Testament. Moses fasted for 40 days before receiving the commandments on Sinai. David fasted for seven days as he prayed for his sick son. Ezra fasted as he mourned for the sin of his community. Esther fasted for the safety of her people. Daniel fasted for 21 days as he sought clarity on a vision from God. In the New Testament, whenever Paul was on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians and Jesus met him, 
He went on to Damascus and there he fasted for three days before Ananias came, laid his hands on him, the scales fell off and Paul began to follow Jesus. The leaders of the church in Antioch there in Acts chapter 13, when they are wondering what God would you have us do next with the gospel, they are worshiping the Lord and fasting. And it's then that the Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, Paul, for the work that I have for them. Whenever Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey planted churches in city Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and Derby, and then made their way back revisiting those churches and establishing leaders. They did that after fasting. I'm not sure how to pronounce this fellow's name. Ole Hallisby. I don't know if it's Ole or Ole. The purpose of fasting is to loosen to some degree the ties which bind us to the world of material things and our surroundings as a whole in order that we may concentrate all our spiritual powers upon the unseen and eternal things. So much more could be said, should be said, but I don't know if I even personally understand fasting enough to say a whole lot more about it, but this image does come to mind. I think it's true. If if you or I have a, a vision of fasting that imagines the face of God is turned away from us, but through fasting, we, we, we turn to God and, and cry out to him. And because of our fasting, God gets impressed and therefore turns his face towards us. That's the wrong way to think about this. God is not impressed by our prayers, by our fasting, by anything. What's the reality of the gospel? God's face is already turned towards us. And what fasting does is it turns our face towards him. Then turn his face towards us. It turns our face towards him. It, it intensifies that, oh God, I want you more than I want food. We need you more than we need food. And for a time, therefore, I will turn from food so that I can turn towards your wonderful face and seek you, to know you, to love you, to worship you, and, and, and to put ourselves in a position where his grace can, according to his great wisdom, come to us. Donald Whitney wrote a great book called The Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. He's a professor at Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. I watched a little video of him talking about fasting. And he says, you know, whenever you choose to to do a fast for a period of time, as you're doing it, your stomach begins to rumble. We get hungry. 
And, and our temptation is to think that's a bad thing. But he says it's, it's the hunger that, that serves us in the, in the time of fasting because it reminds us what we're up to. And he said what, what we need to fight against is when we begin, when, as we're fasting, as we begin to feel the rumbles and the hunger to go, to not say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm fasting. How soon will this be over? Been there before. But to say, oh yeah, I'm fasting. Remember, it's for a spiritual purpose, right? I'm fasting. Oh yeah, because I'm praying for 17 households here in our city that may well be far from God. The hunger pains serve to remind us what we're doing and serve to remind us to pray. Maybe, you know, think about fasting away from Awake in West Houston. Maybe you're praying for the salvation of one of your children. Or maybe you're praying for fasting and praying for a, a couple that you know that's going through a really hard time and, and God, you're just asking him to come through in a miraculous way. And so you begin, Lord, I'd, I'd like to fast for the sake of my child or fast for the sake of this couple. And, and you, you, you set out to fast, whether that's a meal or a few meals or a day or whatever it might be that he leads you to do. And as you're fasting, you begin to get hungry and your stomach begins to rumble and, and Whitney, again, just reminds us, that's a, that's a gift. It's serving to go, oh, yeah, I'm fasting. Oh, yeah, what for? Oh, yeah. God. And you turn to him in prayer. So it's the people of God who pray, and what it is is to turn away from food for a time to focus upon God. When, if you've been listening over the last month as I've talked about Awaken West Houston, I've, I've been saying we're asking you to pray and fast as God will lead you. Because God will lead us all into different fasts. Sometimes churches will call their people to fast, right? And they'll say, hey, let's fast together every Wednesday, sun up to sundown. Or, hey, let's all fast for this period of time. But we are saying during Awaken West Houston, pray as God, or fast as God leads you. So if you've read the, the little yellow book, Clayton talks about a, a number of kinds of fasts. Number one, he says there's a major fast where one might abstain from food or drink for 24 consecutive hours or more. Right, that might be considered a major fast. 24 hours or more fasting from food or drink and it could last days or in the case of Jesus, 40 days. It would be a major fast. He says there's also what could be called a minor fast where a disciple chooses to abstain from food for a certain period of time. 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. or sun up to sundown. This kind of fast can last for days at a time, eating only at a set time of the day. In a minor fast, most people will drink liquids during the day and have one small meal after sundown each evening. 
So you wake up and you fast through breakfast and through lunch. And then maybe at dinner have a small meal. And then wake up in the morning and do that again. Or number three, a partial fast. You give up only certain foods during the course of your fast. This is the famous fast that Daniel was on where he abstained from certain foods out of devotion to God for a period of time. Clayton says, during a partial fast, some people choose to give up certain foods they enjoy in an effort to turn their hearts more deeply to God. And then fourth, a soul fast. That's what he calls this one. Technically speaking, biblical fasting only refers to abstaining from food or drink or both for a spiritual purpose. However, some people choose to fast from things other than food. Some people will give up television, social media, or other activities for a soul fast to focus on prayer. He goes on, each of these fasts, television, social media, or other activities, can be a valuable way of connecting with God more deeply. If you are physically able, though, I would encourage you to prayerfully consider one of the first three fasts. The major fast, minor fast, or partial fast. He says there's something about giving up food that physically and spiritually realigns you in ways nothing else can. In, in his book, A Hunger for God, John Piper says, wrote this. Therefore, when I say that the root of Christian fasting is the hunger of homesickness for God, I mean that we will do anything or go without anything if by any means we might protect ourselves from the deadening effects of innocent delights and preserve the sweet longings of our homesickness for God. Not just food, but anything. Several years ago, I called our people to fast for a 24-hour period once a week, breakfast and lunch on Wednesdays, if possible, during the month of January. We were facing huge issues of self-assessment and direction, and we needed the fullness of God's presence with all his wisdom and purifying power. Within a few days, I got this note in the mail. Quote, I'm behind this. I think God is in it. It doesn't work for me on Wednesday. I'm with people over lunch every day. So I have a couple of things I believe are from the spirit that may be more of a fast for some than food. I thought not watching television for a week or for a month or a night of the week when I normally watch it might be more of a fast than food. Instead of watching my favorite program, I might spend the time talking and listening to God. I wonder if there are others, there might be others for whom this would be a fast and would be a focused time of prayer to them. End quote. Then Piper, I said to the congregation the next Sunday, amen. If you say fasting on Wednesday doesn't work for me, that's okay. If your heart is right and you're open to the Lord and you're asking him, Lord, draw me into the spirit of awakening through fasting, he will show you. He will show you when and how. If your health doesn't allow for that, if the doctor says no fasting for you, that's fine. The great physician knows all about that and something else will work for you. The issue is not food per se. The issue is anything and everything that is or can be a substitute for God. 
where this month-long journey of prayer and fasting will take place wherever you are located day in and day out. This is not some event that we're all going to come to. This is for 30 days. Wherever you are, seeking God through prayer and fasting as he will lead. Well, why? I'm going to answer that question. And it's, it's a hope and it's prayer. For stories of grace. In us and in the households that we'll be praying for. Just ponder for a moment as you think about the 17 households that you might pray for. Just ponder for a moment. Let your imagination go on what could be happening behind those closed doors. If they know the Lord, the reality is that there may be a spiritual lethargy or a lukewarmness to their faith that has had them disconnected from God's people, maybe disconnected from the Lord in a place of spiritual lethargy and lukewarmness. But probably in most of the households that you and I will be praying for, it's not spiritual lukewarmness, but it's spiritual lostness. There are single moms behind those doors and single dads. There are scared and disobedient kids there are sick grandmas, there is alcoholism, there is drug addiction, there's financial stress, there's unemployment, there is sickness and disease, there is loss of hope, there is despair and anxiety and depression, there is the thought, does anybody love me? Do I matter at all? What is the purpose of life? What's the purpose of my life? What's going to happen to me when I die? What's going to happen to my child when she dies? sadness, there is busyness, there is workaholism, there is pride, there are messed up priorities, there is the consumption with body image, there is materialism and greed and anger and laziness and broken dreams, and we could go on and on and on and on. There's a whole lot of hurt and pain. Dave Clayton, it's not in the book. It's in a video I watched of him talking about Awake in Nashville. We've seen God do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine as we've sought him through prayer and fasting on behalf of the people we love so much. We've seen him heal relationships. We've seen him break addictions. We've seen him heal the sick. We've seen him call his lost kids home. And we've seen him do so much more. And we believe that God is just getting started. And I believe that what God is doing here in the city of Nashville is beginning to spread all across the nation and across the nations. And I believe he's wanting to do it with you where you are as well. Wouldn't that be awesome? The Little Yellow Book is published by Him Publications. 
We've been in touch with Chad Harrington. He's the head of that publication company. He wrote me a little letter and he said, what you're doing, I and the pastors here in, in Katy, what you're doing with and for Katy, Texas is not just for 2022. If it's like Nashville, you will see the effects and hear the stories for years. Then in the next life, you'll hear the rest of the stories. I hope so. That we would hear stories from us, from each other, and then somehow stories of what's going on out there. Not only this year, but for years to come, and then in the next life, we'll hear the rest of the stories. Charles Spurgeon, about the church that he pastored back in the 1800s, the Metropolitan Tabernacle. He said, our seasons of fasting and prayer at the tabernacle have been high days indeed. Never has heaven's gate stood wider. Never have our hearts been nearer the central glory. It's a great little phrase. The central glory. He means God. So I'm hoping that we will hear stories of grace. That's why we're doing this. We are seeking God through prayer and fasting that he might do something in us and in the lives of thousands upon thousands upon thousands of households all across our city. That his grace might do something great and move in powerful ways in us and in our city. So, brothers and sisters, if you haven't decided already, would you please join us for Awake in West Houston? Would you say, yes, I will pray for those 30 days, and I will fast as God leads me. If you will, make sure you sign up out there and you get your packet. We got about a week and a half before we begin. Between now and then, read the little yellow book. It's short and it's sweet, but it's a good primer on prayer and in particular on fasting. And it's for beginners like so many of us. And then ask the Lord, Lord, how would you like me to fast during these 30 days? Is it, is it just... One day in the 30? If it is, great. Is it once a week for those four weeks? Great. Is it, what, what might it be? Maybe you begin to take baby steps in week one that leads to a bit more in week two and week three and maybe into week four. Who knows? Seek the Lord. Lord, how would you like me to take my next bold step toward you through prayer and fasting during this month. So read the little book, seek the Lord about how he would like you to fast during that month and then just begin to, to pray as we get ready to begin on March 2nd.
Imagine if God would use Awaken West Houston to ignite a hunger for God through prayer and fasting in our church and in churches all over our city. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the access that we have to you through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of your grace and your love, you sent him to live and die and rise for us to pay the penalty for our sins and to make a way for new life in him. And then you sent your Holy Spirit to indwell us. And, and because of the gospel, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in this great work for us, we can seek you. We can pray. And we we can put an exclamation point on our prayers through fasting because of your grace. Your face is turned towards us. And sadly, I know my face is so often just consumed by the stuff of earth. Consumed so often by what I'm stuffing into my face. God, would you draw us to yourself through this glorious grace of fasting and prayer. And might you do something wonderful in our hearts through this time of seeking you. And then, Lord, would you hear our prayers on behalf of the men, women, boys and girls that live all over our city. As you know, Lord, I was out on my walk this morning, my Sunday morning walk, and looking at all the houses and thinking, most likely every one of these households is going to be prayed for every day for 30 days in March. How cool is that? God, would you work as only you can in the month of March? Revive your people. and draw hundreds, if not thousands, of people who are far from God to life-giving faith in Jesus Christ. And we will pray this for his glory and in his name, amen.